God our Father, we give you great thanks for this part of your scripture, for these amazing words of Jesus when he speaks so strongly into our hearts and convicts us of our guilt and spurs us on to live as you want us to live. Lord, please do all those things in our hearts and minds now and please sustain my voice and help me to speak clearly and faithfully. Amen. Hands up if you ever feel like life is a never-ending, relentless to-do list. Not enough of you, clearly. Some of you are uni students or you've just finished school and so maybe you don't have that much to do. Uh, I feel like often life is a never-ending to-do list. I wake up in the morning and suddenly my mind is filled with all the things I need to do. And then later on in the day, I think, ah, there's actually hundreds more things that I need to do tomorrow. And so my mind fills with those again. Sometimes life just feels like that, doesn't it? Like, go, 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 do, do, do. I wake up, I do a million things, I go to bed, then I wake up and I do it all again. And it seems life, the more that life goes on, the more stuff you have to do. And you go to school. You've got all this stuff you've got to do. Then you finish school and you've got nothing to do for a while. But then you go to uni and you've got some stuff to do, right? You finish uni, you get a job. And you have more stuff to do, more places to be, more things to organise. If you decide to get married, you have to plan a wedding, lots of things to do. If you have kids, I'm told, then you have to do a lot more things and they're not all pleasant. If you move house, there's lots to do. We recently moved from an apartment to a house and in the house there's lots more to do that you have to do compared to living in an apartment. Sometimes life feels like go, 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 do, do, do. And this has been the story of the Sermon on the Mount so far, hasn't it? It feels like Jesus has been saying do, do, do. Do this and don't do that. Think like this, don't live like that. Jesus has been saying, if you're my follower, if you're my disciple, a member of my kingdom, this is what I want you to do, how I want you to live. It seems like Jesus is saying over and over again, do, do, do. Which is partly true, right? In his sermon, Jesus has told us to do many things, hasn't he? Many good things, many hard things. And I think it would have been tempting for those who first heard Jesus, and it is tempting for us as well, it's tempting for us to hear Jesus' words, his Sermon on the Mount, and say, yes, Jesus, I agree. Yes, Jesus, I'm on board. Yes, Jesus, I want to do what you ask me to do. I want to put your words into action. I want to be salt and light in this world. I want to turn the other cheek when I'm wronged. I want to do to others as I would have done to me. I want to run from lust and I want to run from hate. I want to store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. I want to walk on the narrow path, enter through the narrow gate with you, Jesus. I want to do what you've asked me and told me to do. And we can be tempted to say all of that And even to feel it in our hearts, to be excited about living out the Sermon on the Mount, but then do nothing. Do nothing about those words we've heard, those feelings we felt. We're tempted to say we love Jesus' words, but then we don't 
do anything about them. And I don't know about you, but this is what I found every week as we've looked through the Sermon on the Mount. Each week I've said in my mind, yes, Jesus, I want to do what you asked me to do. I can even think of the ways that I need to change, the ways I need to grow. But then what do I do? I forget. Or I can't be bothered. Or I get tired. Or I get busy. And I don't do anything. And I think I can almost guarantee that everyone in this room has thought and done the same thing. Well, this passage... This passage at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' closing words, they are a sobering and humbling reality check. Do I really love Jesus' words? Do I really do what Jesus says? So come with me into this passage as Jesus wraps up his sermon and challenges us about what we do. Come with me. Let's read verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus gives us a scenario. What is that scenario? Well, he says it's the time when people either enter the kingdom of heaven or don't. In verse 22, he describes that it's on that day. He's describing the scenario, the situation of the last day, the day of judgment, the day that Jesus returns, the day he judges the world and brings in the kingdom of heaven, the new creation. That's the scenario Jesus is getting us to imagine. So what's happening on this day? On this day, Jesus will divide all humanity into two. We know that from the Bible. Those who call on Jesus as their Lord and those who don't. Those who believe in Jesus and those who don't. Jesus will divide humanity into two. But Jesus says there's almost a third group of people. There's those who call Jesus Lord and those who don't. But then there's also those who say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, they call him their Lord. They believe in him. But... They do not do the will of God the Father. They do not do what God wants them to do, and so Jesus says they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And now we need to ask two questions at this point to get our heads around what Jesus is saying. First of all, what is Jesus saying about himself here? Look again at verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, What is Jesus saying in those few words? Jesus is stating plainly for all to hear, I am your Lord. Jesus is saying, I am the Lord. I am the judge. I am the one who allows people to enter the kingdom of heaven or not. Do you see the scandal of those words? Jesus, a 30-year-old uneducated man from the backwater of Israel says to this crowd of Jews, FYI, I'm your Lord. Just so you know, God is my Father, I am his Son. He has appointed me to be the judge of all humanity. And you won't enter the kingdom of heaven if you don't recognize that. You can't say Jesus was just a nice guy, can you? Or a good moral teacher. 
nice guys, good moral teachers, they don't claim to be the judge of all the world who decides who enters heaven or not. But Jesus does. That's what Jesus is saying about himself. I am the Lord and judge of all. And so our second question then is, what is Jesus saying about us? We've seen Jesus says, I am the Lord. What does that mean for us? Well, we can see that because he's the Lord, he wants us to recognize him as that Lord. But, and this is the point of what he's saying, simply saying that Jesus is your Lord is not enough. Simply saying to Jesus, Lord, Lord, on the day of judgment is not enough. Because, look at verse 23, there are those who call Jesus Lord, but Jesus says to them, verse 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Are those not the most frightening words in the Bible, or the most frightening words ever said or written? I never knew you. Depart from me. And what's also frightening in this passage, look at verse 23 again, is that Jesus says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? Jesus is saying that on that day of judgment, many people will say, Jesus, I believed in you. Jesus, you're my Lord. I even did religious things, Lord. I went to church. I read my Bible. I prayed. I I gave to the poor. I was nice to people. I even did remarkable things in your name. And what will Jesus say to that person? I never knew you. Depart from me. He will say, I don't know you. We have no relationship. You did not actually do my Father's will. You simply said I was your Lord, with no actual love or obedience. Jesus says not just a few, but many people will be taken by that surprise on Judgment Day. This is the stark reality of what Jesus is saying to us. You can think that you are a Christian, but not be one. You can look like a follower of Jesus, but you actually aren't. You can call Jesus to your Lord, but never really know him. Jesus says only those who do the Father's will will enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who simply call Jesus Lord and then ignore him, they will be cast away. Do you know that this is one of the biggest fears for my own self, but also for our church? One of my biggest fears is that on the last day that Jesus will say to some of you, I never knew you. Who are you? Depart from me. These words of Jesus are the driving factor for my life and ministry. I want to do everything that I can to make sure that you don't hear these words. I never knew you. I want to encourage you and warn you and build you up in the faith so that you enter the kingdom of heaven instead of departing from Jesus. And my, I hope and pray that you feel the same way about the people around you tonight. Now at this point, you might be asking the question, 
how do you know if you're doing the Father's will? How do you know that you're not just going through the motions of the Christian life? How do I know if I'm someone Jesus will welcome into the kingdom or someone Jesus will say, depart from me? What is the Father's will? How do I make sure I'm doing it? Well, Jesus then begins to answer that question in the next part of the passage. So come with me. We'll look at verse 24 onwards and we'll see. How do you know you're doing the Father's will? Well, do you do what Jesus says? Verse 24. Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. And then verse 26, the flip side, and everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Here are Jesus' closing words to his sermon. These words he's been building up to the whole time. What are they? They're a parable, a story about two men. How does the story go? Well, it's pretty simple, but it's very powerful. Both men decide they want to build a house. They've got a vision, they've got the plans, they've got the the contractors, they've got the architects, and they go to work building a house. So far, the story is the same for both men. They want to build a house, they both do build a house. And so what's the difference? Well, it's where they build the house. What the foundation of their house is, that's different. One man builds his house on a rock, while the other man builds his house on sand. But this key difference is, I'm sure you can tell, the deciding factor for these men, because where they build their house decides whether it stands or falls. One man builds on a hard foundation, the other on soft. And so, when the storm comes... When the rivers rise and the floods come, when the wind rages and batters and pounds against the houses, each one, what happens? Have you ever been at home during a storm where you were just convinced that the roof was going to blow off? Or you just knew that a wall was going to cave in and you were going to get impaled on something and you just were frightened for your life? Or you thought a tree was going to fall in your house? That's terrifying, isn't it? That's how I think these men would have felt in their houses. So what happens to each house? Well, Jesus' simple point is, one house stands firm. Which one? Well, the obvious one, the one built on the rock. One house stands firm, but the other begins to crack. It begins to slip, it crumbles, and then it collapses and falls into a loud destruction heap of mess and Destruction. It just all goes bad, right? Now, why is Jesus telling us this story? What is Jesus comparing these two men and their houses to? Well, he compares these two men to two kinds of people. The first kind of person is someone who hears Jesus' words and then does what he says. They are like the man who built his house on a rock and the house survives. The second kind of person is someone who hears Jesus' words and does not do what Jesus says. They are like the man who builds on sand and his house falls. What's the point of the story? Well, let's think for a moment about those same two questions. What is Jesus saying about himself in this story? Jesus is saying that his words are the deciding factor 
His words are what matter more than anything in life. Hearing and doing Jesus' words, living the Sermon on the Mount, it decides whether you stand or fall in the storm, whether you stand or fall under God's judgment. Which, when you think about it, is another scandalous and outrageous thing that Jesus said. Just as Jesus said he's the Lord and judge before, so he says, only those who do what I say will stand the storm. Only those who do what I say will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the wild claim Jesus is making. To do the Father's will, what he said before, it's to do my words, Jesus said. Doing God's will and doing Jesus' words, they mean the exact same thing. Which would have been crazy to say. We're used to saying that kind of thing all the time. But he said it in a context that would have made him sound insane. And so that's why they wanted to kill him, right? No wonder they wanted to kill him for what he said. He said, I'm the Lord and judge. And now he's saying to do my words is to do my father's words. Sorry, to do my Father's will. If you hear my words and do what I say, you'll enter his kingdom. If you, don't, if you hear my words and don't do what I say, you will not enter that kingdom. Now, what is Jesus then saying about us? The point he's making is, it's not enough, enough for us to just hear Jesus' words. It's not enough to say, yes, Jesus, I love your words, and then do nothing about them. Just like he said before, it's not enough to say, Jesus is your Lord, and then not do the Father's will. So here, it's not enough just to hear Jesus' words and not do anything about them. You have to do them. You have to live them. Jesus says, only those who do my words will stand on the day of judgment. Those who do not will fall. And all of this is meant to get us to ask the question that we've been asking all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. What is the question we've asked almost every week as we've heard Jesus and his powerful words and his enigmatic words, as we've seen his demands that he makes on our life? What is that question that we've asked? Who then can enter the kingdom of heaven? If only those who do the Father's will will enter the kingdom of heaven, then how can anyone enter it? Because who does the Father's will all the time and in every way? No one. I don't, and neither do you. If only those who hear Jesus' words and then do what he says enter the kingdom of heaven, then how can anyone enter it? Because who does what Jesus says all the time and in every way? No one. I don't, and neither do you. This is the question Jesus is trying to get us to ask. He's pushing each one of us to see that we cannot do the Father's will. We cannot do Jesus' words. All throughout our series, Jesus has been preaching God's law to us hard and fast, relentlessly, all to show us that we do not match up to God's perfect standards. Why? So that none of us can say, I'm okay with God. 
I do what Jesus says. Jesus shows us no one can say that. He's trying to get us to see the stark reality of who and what we are. Sinful. Evil. Disobedient. Unable to do what he says and what God demands. Unworthy to be members of God's kingdom. And he's trying to do that to make us feel the weight of that because he's trying to get us to realize and get us ready for what he will do later in the story. He's trying to get us ready for his death. He's humbling us. He's showing us that we need his grace, that we need him to go to the cross for us, for our sin, that we need him to die in our place for all the ways that we don't do God's will and don't do what Jesus says. Brothers and sisters, this is the wonder of the good news of Jesus. Listen carefully. We are saved by God's amazing grace through simple faith and trust in Jesus. It's his death that pays for our sin. It's not what we do that saves us. We can't earn our way into the kingdom of heaven by what we do. And so now... Because Jesus has shown us that grace, we can enter the kingdom of heaven by grace. We receive forgiveness from God as a free gift. And that is what we're going to be thinking about a lot over the next few weeks as we think about the Reformation. It's going to be fantastic. And if we know that's true from the book of Romans and from other places in the Bible, then how do we read Jesus' words here? Only those who do the will of the Father... Only those who do my words will enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Jesus is trying to preach God's law so that no one can say, I've done all that. I'm fine. Instead, he wants us to say, I can't do that. Jesus, please forgive me. And so if you felt convicted as we've wrestled through Jesus' words, then that's good. That's what he wants you to feel and to think. He wants conviction, that conviction and even guilt and shame to lead you to the cross where you find grace. And then, and only then, can we begin to do the Father's will. Only once we've been saved by grace through faith can we begin to do what Jesus says to be salt and light in this world, to turn the other cheek, to do to others as I would have done to me, to love my enemies, to run from lust and hate, to store up treasure in heaven, not on earth, to walk the narrow path and enter through the narrow gate. Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount to strip us of all of our pride and bring us to despair before him. So that we could throw ourselves at his feet, the foot of his cross, and cry out for forgiveness. So now we strive to do the Father's will, to do Jesus' words. But as those who've been shown incredible grace, who've been welcomed into the kingdom with kindness and love and mercy, forgiven and set free. And so it's my hope and prayer that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount will have brought that response about in you. Those two responses, humbling ourselves, 
being humbled so that we come to Jesus for grace and then being challenged to live for Jesus as forgiven sinners, to do what he says. And I think that's the very last challenge that this chapter has for us, that the Sermon on the Mount has. Because right at the very end, after Jesus finishes speaking, we see the response of the crowd. Read it with me, verse 28. When Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Do you see the response of the crowds? They were astonished at his words. They said, this man speaks with authority. But my question is, did they do anything about it? Did their amazement lead to action? Did they hear Jesus' words of authority and submit to them? Did they do what he said? Did they recognize their need for his mercy and ask for forgiveness? Or did they just say that he was their Lord? Did they hear his words and do nothing about them? We don't know what the response of all those people were. But we can say what the response should have been, can't we? And therefore what our response should be. How should we respond to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? We humbly turn to Jesus for forgiveness and grace. We admit that we cannot do what he says. And then as his forgiven people, as members of his kingdom, we strive to do what he says with the help of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for humbling us with the words of Jesus. Thank you for tearing away our pride and making us see that we need your grace. Lord, we thank you that you opened the way for us into your kingdom through the death of Jesus. And now you call us to live for you and do what the Lord Jesus says. Father, please help us to do his words and your will, relying and trusting on your grace and the help of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I just want us to do one more thing as we wrap up our series in the Sermon on the Mount. I started off by saying that we can be tempted to hear Jesus' words and even feel convicted, but then do nothing about them. And so I want to give us time to stop and reflect and and actually commit to doing something, to taking practical steps to do the Father's will, to do what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to reflect for a while, have a think about these questions. What is one way I'm going to strive to do what Jesus says? What is one thing from the Sermon on the Mount that I'm going to act on, that I'm going to live out? How do I want to grow and change to, be what, to do what Jesus says? So I want us to stop and reflect personally just for a few moments to reflect in our own hearts and minds and have a think over what we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you want to scan over chapters 5 to 7 in your Bible. And perhaps you'd find it helpful to finish this sentence. As a forgiven member of God's kingdom, I want to grow in dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. And you can write it down, and that might help you as well. If you're uh, not a Christian, or you're not sure about that, then I encourage you to use this time to reflect on why that is. And to reflect on if Jesus' words have made you want to change your mind at all. 
and put your faith in him. Have a think, and uh, in a moment we'll continue on in prayer.